This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. And we're online at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at thetrumpet.com. I'm Dwight Falk, and Grant Turgeon is here today. Grant yesterday brought us a, a topic that he and his wife had been discussing about beauty and whether or not it was uh, more scientific or whether it was, I guess, in the eye of the beholder. And so we had a few people comment on that, and uh, we'll read a couple of their comments today. And uh, the first comment says, Good morning, guys. Uh, Didn't Sir David Wynn answer this question when he visited the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus in 2010? Of course, he was a famous uh, uh, British uh, artist. It says, If memory serves, his take on it was that real beauty, at least in the art genre, should make a person say, Wow! I imagine this is what Adam's reaction was when he first laid eyes on the perfectly created Eve. Have a great day, fellows, and keep up the good work. <laughs> so that was one comment. comment. That that seems to lean toward what we said, where anyone should be able to acknowledge what the truth of it is. I think that's what it meant. <laughs> most most likely they were on our side. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you have to think with Adam and Eve there that God didn't tell Adam, hey, look, you know, once you get to know her, it, it, it's just great. She's great. <laughs> I'm sure he was impressed right off the bat. Uh, but then there's maybe the opposite side here. It says, I'm a frequent listener to Trumpet Radio. Both of these are men, by the way, responding. I'm a frequent listener to Trumpet Radio. Uh, the real news and the truth that's just not available anywhere else. I really enjoy Trumpet Radio Live, done with wit. Enjoyable to listen to, and you always get across excellent points. About your opening item about beauty being scientific, I have pondered this subject at length. Even in appearance, there is tremendous variety. An acquaintance of mine, upon describing a particular person's appearance, was, I thought, a little unkind. So I said to them, we humans come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Our DNA, the double helix, is a golden ratio, so it stands to reason that many of our physical parameters are also golden ratios. There are a wide variety of facial models for all kinds of uses from facial recognition to beauty masks to research models produced by mathematicians. Another consideration to attractiveness is how appealing someone is. Perhaps you like their smile or a certain facial expression. The human face is capable of an incredible number of facial expressions. Then there's body language, so that when someone is talking to you, you gain understanding about what they are saying, not only by words, but also facial expressions and body language. Sorry, Grant, he says. (laughs) I have to side with your wife on this one. (laughs) I think that beauty is in the eye of the beholder because there is so much going on. It's so dynamic. All this, he says, designed by God so that we not only bear the likeness of the God family, but each of us are unique individuals in every way, our personalities, our physical appearance. I hope this helps you to resolve your debate. <laughs> I think he just threw more gas on the fire. Well, it's it's funny because that's pretty much exactly how Anya was approaching it. And I had the impression she was agreeing with me without knowing it. And it seems like he is as well. I'm not saying that only someone who's a 100 on the scale is uh, beautiful. There's a pretty big spectrum from like 50 all the way up to 100 or 60 up to 100 that could be seen as beautiful. Uh, 
and so that's it's pretty obvious that um uh people are going to have different opinions on it but i'm not saying i'm i'm super picky or anything <laughs> <laughs> you know uh it's interesting i've been reading this uh book on uh abraham lincoln and some of his life and of course people had a lot of comments about the way he looked that was a major issue and uh, he went and inspected the troops during the Civil War at a particular battlefield. And some of the soldiers that saw him said that he was the ugliest man they had ever seen. <laughs> they looked like an orangutan. <laughs> but then others said he, he was a pretty good-looking guy. Like, once you kind of watched him speak and once you... It, he was a really interesting character because at first look... Everything about him was sort of awkward, I guess. But then as he began to speak and he began to move, you got a different different uh, viewpoint of him or you thought of him differently. It's almost so, like if the more people get to know him, yeah, almost, that's when they start to think of him as more handsome, basically. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that that goes beyond just physical appearance. Uh, and And by the way, I don't even really think physical beauty is that important at all but it just happened to be something that came up that that's hardly something that ever crosses my mind when i see people but at the same time i could definitely acknowledge what beauty is like who is the beautiful out there usually celebrities and athletes tend to be pretty high up there on the scale Mm. In, in a lot of cases they um even if they're not naturally that high on the scale uh, they make themselves look <laughs> like they're pretty high on the scale. Uh, Very you know, true. We've all we've all probably been victims of the clickbait, uh, clickbait where they say, "Oh, see what so and so looks like without makeup on." And you're like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, really?" <laughs> that was interesting. Interesting debate. Uh, some uh, some good food for thought there. Yeah, and it's it's something that uh, we even ended up talking about with my dad yesterday when he came over to see my daughter Loma uh-huh. at lunch break. We started talking about that as a family as well, so it's a it's a conversation that you could get a lot out of, and uh, maybe even like a good spokesman club topic too. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting debate. Lots of sides to it. Lots of headlines to look at today. There's a lot happening, including uh, the Austin bombing. There was another bombing last night, and then this morning the bombing suspect blew himself up according to uh, some reports. This is from statesman.com. Austin bombing suspect, 24-year-old man, dies as police close in, chief says. The suspect in a string of bombings in Austin is dead. Interim Austin police chief Brian Manley confirmed early Wednesday. The name of the suspect, described only as a 24-year-old white man, has not been released pending notification of his family. It's always funny when they when it's a white person because they'll always say it's a white person. They're very much, <laughs> yeah. much, much faster to actually admit it. But if it's not, then usually you don't get a description. So maybe it could could have been a racial thing since at least the the packages dropped off at people's homes were all the homes of black people or Hispanic people. Hard to say. Yeah, they're they're still trying to figure all that out. Uh, they say although police are still investigating the possibility of accomplices, they say we they believe uh, this individual is responsible for all of the incidents in Austin. Manley urged the community to remain vigilant <clears throat> for possible other explosives, adding that we do not know where the suspect has been in the past 24 hours. Police have not identified a motive for the string of bombings. Investigators identified several leads, but the case really broke in the past 24 to 36 hours. Uh, the police chief described how authorities tracked down the suspect's vehicle to a Round Rock area hotel. 
Police began following the suspect's vehicle, and as SWAT approached, he detonated a bomb in the car. Wow. Manley said an officer had fired at the suspect and another officer who was knocked back by the blast was treated for minor injuries. Fred uh, Milanowski, special agent in charge with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, said authorities know when he bought some of the components. It was fairly recently. So they've been tracking this guy's activity. Fortunately, he said, we were able to do some digging and find this individual over the past 48 hours. He described the device used in the car as a significant explosive device, but did not provide any other details. I wonder what he was going to do with that device, if he had had it in there just in case he got caught, or if he was going to deliver it somewhere. Or, you know, obviously in Oklahoma City here, we remember the the bombing where they drove a vehicle up to the building. So who knows? Um, and they're still trying to, I guess, put this whole case to bed. But you do have to wonder if there are other people or if this is it. But uh, anyway, that's the end of it for now. Well, so there's been six total, right? Correct. Uh, didn't we only talk about the fifth one yesterday morning and then there was another one right. later later yesterday? Yep. Yeah, it, it was another uh, headline that popped up and it just made you say, wow, once again, because... Uh, I just thought it was going to go on for like another 10 or 15. Thankfully, they finally caught this guy. Obviously, he didn't have any intention of stopping if there were still bombs in his vehicle. Yeah, there was somebody that identified themselves on Reddit as being the person that did it. I don't know if that is the same, if this that is this individual or people just, it's so um, strange, but a lot of times people want to jump in on the action, so to speak, and claim they did something or Maybe they didn't, so I don't know. It, that's probably one of the biggest jobs for the police is following uh, correct leads and not getting caught up in chasing, you know, the the people that say things that aren't really involved. So, but it is amazing how quickly the police can track things down. I mean, they know what you're buying and they know where you went, and they they can pretty quickly figure out what's happening. That's probably one of the purposes for all the data tracking that's going on online uh, from the federal government. They they have gotten a lot better at finding your internet footprint or you know basically tracking wherever you go because so much of our our financial practices are online as well so you could track someone's credit card where it was used and things like that uh so that that's a little bit uh disturbing but as long as we're not doing something bad hopefully we don't get <laughs> tracked down like that i guess well here's another example of the police being a real benefit to the community Sometimes they get a bad rap in the media, mm. but where would we be without people putting their lives on the line to try to stop somebody like this? Same thing yesterday in that uh, high school shooting there in, um, I guess it was Maryland. You know, that resource officer uh, shot the guy, and ended, the guy ended up dying, the, pers- the, the shooter at the school. Uh, but you just it was pointed out on the Trumpet Daily today, you, you don't hear a lot about it in the media. You don't hear a lot of talk about that. What about, are we going to have a town hall debate about how great it was that the the uh, resource officer was there with a weapon to stop the shooter? <laughs> if he didn't have a gun, what, what would he have done? You know. No. Uh, so it, it's picking and choosing as far as what they want to make the big headlines. Well, and then look at the sheriff who became popular with the left by participating in that CNN town hall. The only way the left supported him was because he was pro-gun control, and if he hadn't been, they probably would have been all over him as well. If he had been 
a regular police sheriff and not being a political advocate, they probably would have seen more of the faults of the sheriff instead of trying to gloss that over just because he supported gun control. I finally saw just a little bit of that town hall the other day. I hadn't watched it because I yeah, just it's did. Bad. <laughs> and it, I couldn't get through more than maybe two minutes. I got I was just upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NRA spokeslady, um, you know, kudos to her for going there and taking it, I guess. But having these young kids get up and, and say these things, and you know, you can just tell by their, the way they're conducting themselves. They don't even really know what they're saying. Um, and she actually addressed them like, you know, with with respect – uh, I thought maybe a little more than was needed. <laughs> you know, I just felt like, hey, listen, you don't even know what you're talking about, so maybe you should, and you should watch your attitude. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, I guess you can't do that in town halls. Well, those those kids have had a lot of arrogance, like they know exactly what the solutions are. I saw an interview the other day; it might have been on 60 Minutes, but one of the girls who is an activist was talking about how. It would be really stupid to arm teachers because recently they couldn't even afford to have paper in the school for a couple of weeks. And then she she smirks and she leans forward and she puts her hand on her chin and says, really? Really? Like like she knows so much mm. more than everyone else right. who is an adult who is actually paid to try to deal with situations like that. Yeah. And I'm sure her tax dollars have helped pay for the school. <laughs> yeah, she's she's definitely a huge contributor to the paper supply for her long <laughs> career of working and uh, you know, paying taxes. Well, speaking of the schools, the Washington Times has this write up: walk out fallout, school districts hit with backlash over political activism. By the way, I don't know a lot of a lot of listeners probably saw this the other day, but some of these walkouts, some of the kids, I think it was in the Chicago area. They went and trashed a Walmart store during the walkout, because you know how that that really uh, has what exactly to do with gun control. <laughs> yeah, they don't. Most of them don't care. They're just uh, out there to be part of it, uh, part of the excitement. Well, they probably just gave a good advertisement for why Walmart needs armed security now. So they they probably, if anything, would have pushed it in the other direction. Oh, sure. If you're a if you're a, a business. Really, or, or any, you have any building or anything like that close to where you know students are going to do a walkout, boy, you'd want to lock your doors Oh yeah, and put up bars on the windows because you know there's going to be trouble. Yeah, that was how it was when I was in middle school and high school in town in Edmond. Uh, as soon as school got let out, a lot of kids, probably like 40 or 50, would, would walk down the sidewalk to Brahms, which was right next to my middle school, uh, you know, a, rest, a fast food restaurant there. And then they just fill up the whole place. And I just envisioned how that must have been a nightmare every day for the people working there because they don't they don't clean up after themselves. They curse loudly. You know, they are very rude to everyone around them. Uh, And that's just what I noticed every time I went in there. So so clearly those poor workers having to deal with that every day must not have been too happy. Yeah, it's it's three o'clock. Here comes the zoo. (laughs) Yeah. They say the gun control movement notched a public relations coup with last week's massive school walkouts. But now, school districts that pitched in to ensure the protest's success are stuck with rising political and legal fallout. Uh, a week after the March 14th walkout, school officials are grappling with complaints from parents outraged by the specter of their kids engaged in political protesting on school time as well as reports of criminal mischief committed by teens who treated the event as a get-out-of-class-free card. You know, and that's a great point. Um, 
these are public schools, so people's tax dollars are funding the schools. And so they should have certainly some say as to what happens at the school. And you don't pay those tax dollars and have those schools so your kids can go protest. You didn't send them to school to protest. I mean, there might be a parent or two that did, but that's their issue, I guess. <laughs> Most people do not. You send them to school to learn something. And if you send your, your child to school and all of a sudden they're on TV yelling and running around and maybe trashing a Walmart or who knows what else, uh, on school time? Wait a second now. Who's paying for that? That See, that's, again, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's activism taking over the schools and those schools are not designed to be the hotbed of political activism. Well, these walkouts have made it a lot more clear that our schools now really are leftist indoctrination centers. We've known it for a little bit now about colleges, but now you're seeing it a lot at the high school, the junior high level, where these administrators are these administrators are literally just encouraging kids to walk out of class and then they're going on the news the local news and talking about how proud they are of all their students being so engaged and so aware of what's going on when they're not at all they have no idea what's happening and they don't have any clue as to what the solution is and yet these administrators are saying listen to the children conveniently because the children have the exact same viewpoints as the administrators do Exactly. Hey, listen to the kids, everyone. Now come here and let me whisper in your ear what you should say. (laughs) (laughs) And there have been videos of some of the uh, Parkland activists uh, like practicing how they're going to talk on the news. And they're trying to read a teleprompter, but make it look like they're still looking at the camera and they're tripping over their words and getting frustrated. So it, it, it does make you think that there are people literally they're holding up what they should say sometimes when they're on the news. <laughs> it's 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 uh, unbelievable. They, this article from the Washington Times says, what's more, if, if you liked all of that, the students get to do it again next month. What? A substantially identical event, also called the National School Walkout, is scheduled for April 20th, the 19th anniversary of the Columbine High School Massacre. Chris Cleveland, chairman of the Chicago Republican Party, said he worried that the walkouts aimed at pushing for tougher gun restrictions in the wake of the deadly Parkland shooting have provided the template for advocacy groups eager to co-op the public schools for progressive activism. Why stop there? How about uh, Save the Environment Day? How about uh, you name the whatever the project is? How about you just have the students go and march in the streets? They're more than willing to do it. They, they're excited to get out there, apparently, because they get out of school. Uh, it's not hard to organize it. They're, they're taking advantage of these kids, and the kids don't even know it. Yeah, they really are. And I, I guess you'd have to call them shrewd for doing that. I mean, they're, they're pretty smart at taking advantage of a situation like this to pass their agenda. Uh, and that's what the left has to do because their ideas are woefully inadequate. They're not... They're not good ideas. Uh, so they have to have kids out there pushing it so that anytime someone on the right would ever criticize what the kids are saying, the left can paint those people as monsters. Say, well, how could you criticize these poor, traumatized children? They just want to be safe at school. How could you ever tell them that they're wrong? Why can't we just thoughtlessly do everything that they're telling us to do right now? Yeah, that's right. They've really set it up to, to work in the left's favor. Chris Cleveland here, this chairman of the Chicago Republican Party, also said, 
if they get away with this, they'll be free to engage in any kind of political activity in the schools that they wish. And he has a third grader in the Chicago public schools himself. The party is moving to avert the scenario by preparing a lawsuit against the school system, arguing that the district violated state and federal law as well as its own policies by organizing a political demonstration and pressuring students to attend on the taxpayer's dime. And there were reports of people being uh, threatened with some sort of punishment if they didn't go. And we all, I mean, we've all been in school. You know peer pressure. If you're sitting in a class of 30 kids and 25 of them say, we're going to go protest, are you going to be like, no, I don't agree with your viewpoint. I'm going to stay here. (laughs) You're probably just going to go. And, and, you know, even if you don't really say anything, you'll just walk in the masses because then you you avoid the... um, the, the scorn and the ridicule for not doing that. So um, I don't. what do you do? If, you, if you're a parent, I suppose, and you don't agree with it, I guess you keep your kid home that day mm-hmm. and say, when well, I'm going to send them to school because I don't want them being part of this. Yeah, because obviously parents can do all they can at home to try to uh, keep these ideas from entering their, their children's minds and, and drawing them off track. But if everyone else is doing it, that can have a pretty big influence on the kids, and the kids might just decide to go along with that ideology uh, just so that they don't get persecuted or they don't seem different from everybody else. Uh, it's hard to really even relate to this because until until recently, you never heard a word about politics in high school. That That was something that I had no idea about. I never even thought about what my classmates thought about those things. I didn't even know what I thought about those things. Uh, and now it's like everyone from age 11 up has to has to have a really strong emotional, pretty much all emotional uh, viewpoint on politics. It can't be anything factual. Right. They're not at an age to have even really thought these things through and, and dealt with them. And again, I, I go back I go back to thinking about President Lincoln, who had to deal with slavery. And he he spent years as a lawyer, uh, years studying, years uh, as a politician, years thinking about how to try to deal with the slavery issue, years as a highly skilled professional. And it took him so much time. And he was writing the Emancipation uh, Proclamation. I mean, he, he worked on it for a long time, and he'd lock it in a desk drawer, and he'd pull it out, and he'd look at it again, and he'd think about it, and then he would read it to somebody that was a, you know, a confidant and say, what do you think about this, and is there another viewpoint, and, and change a word here and change a word there, and, and it's not like it was all smooth sailing, even when he really went ahead with it. It was a, very difficult, but the point is, here is a full-grown adult, highly intelligent, that has had so many years of experience, including he had children die from dizzy. I mean, he went through so many things, and he thought, and he thought, and he thought, and he studied, and he studied, and he read the Bible, and he read Shakespeare, and he thought about these things to come out with an idea. And now we're looking at 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old kids and saying, tell us how to solve these massive issues. And they say, oh, well, you know, I know how to do it. Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> How do you know? I'm sorry. I, I do we have a group of young Abraham Lincolns before us? I I mean, how do you know? Yeah, they haven't they haven't probably put more than an hour combined into their entire 
I guess, basis for their views. Uh, on top of all the things you said about Lincoln, he also heard highly convincing arguments from Northerners and from Southerners. They pointed to the Bible, the exact same scriptures in the Bible, and said, look, this this actually supports slavery, or they said this says that slavery ought to be abolished. They were pointing at the exact same verses, and so he had to be able to discern which viewpoint was better. He couldn't go along with the peer pressure because the pressure was pretty strong on either side. He had to make a decision as a man, regardless of who thought it was unpopular, and he had to stick with it based on a lot of thought, a lot of prayer, uh, and and really just considering the situation and, and what God would think about it. That's really where he turned because some of these issues are really complex and there isn't a solution to it unless you're looking in the right place. And it's never going to be solved with uh, smarminess or emotion or self-righteousness. None of those things are going to come to any solutions. So a really interesting one comment about what they're trying to do with some of these kids in the schools with protests person says education today has become reading writing arithmetic revolting writing revolution <laughs> spot on and then another commenter <laughs> said you're correct except for the reading writing and arithmetic part <laughs> yeah because actually the grades have fallen off in all of the important subjects i mean at, as the educators in places like uh, some towns in minnesota for example like we've heard recently on tr- the trumpet hour program They've actually focused on social justice, making sure that the quotas for every race and gender are the same. Uh, and their scores in math and English and science and literature have gone way down. And history, I mean, you don't even want to talk about history because they, they pretty much get rid of that subject. Uh, why, why are students going to school to learn how to protest. It's not that hard. You just write out a sign and you and you pick it and you you march. I mean, what else is there that you have to learn about something like that? Why can't they learn the important things at school? Well, and they haven't even formed their own opinion about it. They're just co-opting somebody else's opinion, what they've been told, what they think the hip thing to do is. Um, speaking of just education, the way it's changing, that, that ties into our next story here from The Hill. University of Wisconsin campus proposes eliminating the majors of English and history. Of course, I, I I went to the University of Wisconsin, not this particular campus, but the University of Wisconsin at Stevens Point, which is just a stone's throw from where I grew up, <laughs> if you had a really strong arm, is uh, <laughs> reportedly discussing a plan to eliminate 13 majors, including English, philosophy, history, and Spanish. The campus, one of 11 campuses in the UW system, would instead focus on programs that have clear career pathways, according to the Washington Post. Under the proposal, the school would expand areas such as marketing, management, graphic design, computer information systems, areas that have demonstrated, they say, value and demand in the region. The school's administration is framing the idea as a way to increase its declining enrollment and to deal with a multi-million dollar deficit. Faculty and students, however, plan a sit-in they're going to have a sit-in. Somebody else can have a walkout this week at the campus administration building to oppose the change. That might be something worth opposing. Some of those majors may not be that valuable, but when it comes to English and history, and I, I do understand that there are more technical fields that are good to get into, but but you can't get rid of English. You can't get rid of history. Uh, there's a great Kia David program recently, Shakespeare in the British Empire. 
There is a, a, a Trumpet Daily program that's very similar to that, Shakespeare, Churchill, Empire, and True Education. William Shakespeare, I mean, because of his great command of the English language, his understanding of the Bible on some level, uh, he was able to really inspire people. I mean, what can you do? What could Winston Churchill do with the command of the English language and a knowledge of history? He may not have been the world's best graphic designer, but he did save the Western world <laughs> from the Nazis and from, uh, uh, you know, the Japanese and so forth. So uh, I think they're just, they are not putting the proper value, obviously, on English and history. And even the way those courses are taught, they probably need to look at that. That's a really subtle attack that a university would take there against subjects like that uh, because you could see where the fields they're trying to emphasize are a little bit more technical. They're a little bit more specific for particular jobs. But who doesn't, like you said, who doesn't benefit from knowing how to communicate with your common language? I mean, that is something that is breaking down quickly in society. You see people who can't speak a coherent sentence. They can't write uh, two or three words together in the right order. And that is a problem. If people cannot communicate, if they cannot understand each other, we're starting to see some of the results of that. Different groups that don't know what the other groups are saying, and therefore they don't understand the ideas, and they come to fight about it. They have disagreements about things that they don't understand that they should. And history, who doesn't learn from who doesn't learn from the past? That's like in the book 1984, where they just went back into all the records and they just changed everything so that it went along with the English Socialist Party. They controlled history. They abolished everything that disagreed with their ideology and they just wrote in new things that supported the party line. Uh, when you do things like that, when you get rid of history, you raise an entire generation of kids who are extremely arrogant and they do think they know everything. They don't think that history has anything to teach them because... They have their smartphone, and they, they, they can get any information off there that they want to. Yeah, it is a very, uh, like you said, sort of uh, subtle attack in a way to where I could see. I mean, there is a certain logic to what they're saying. Hey, look, you're going to make more money potentially doing this career or that career. But still, those those core courses are so valuable. And again, I mean, uh, you can do a lot with those degrees depending on, again, who you are as an individual. Uh, and within those subjects, I mean, obviously there are probably some that are a little bit, maybe not as important. The philosophy course, I don't, I don't know how important something like that is. But when you start getting rid of uh, courses on your own language, like you say, and uh, history, you're pretty lost. Um, those are just core, core subjects. So anyway, interesting that they're trying to make some of those changes there. We'll see if that actually uh, happens. I think that um, that would make it more of like a technical college, actually. Mm -hmm. Those are more like tech sort of courses that you could get into. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, obviously, when you have your major, you take most of your classes in that field, but you can take classes in other things as well. I mean, you could spend time doing both. I don't know. So anyway, old uh, University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point there, not uh, not wanting the history potentially or the English classes. And it just shows that, Human beings don't know uh, how to educate. They don't know what's important. And you have to have a balance. You have to have the right foundation, which is what what does God say? Uh, and then you build on top of that. You have to have all these core subjects. You can't just get rid of them because you want to become a marketing expert. You have to 
know how to speak. You have to know the, the fundamentals. You have to have a wide-ranging education, uh, basically a, a liberal arts-type education, which is what is offered here on this campus at Herbert W. Armstrong College. You have to have the right foundation. You have to be able to be competent in a lot of different areas. You don't want to be just completely clueless in some basic subject just because you decided not to take that class in college. Yeah, you definitely need to be well-rounded. Everybody needs to be well-rounded in their basic education, and then you do sort of specialize in particular things, but being well-rounded. And two, uh, careers change so quickly these days. I mean, even marketing. I mean, you could be a real good marketer in a sense, but then the way it's done changes. For example, I mean, look at Facebook imploding. Yeah. You know, because a lot of online marketing has to do with Facebook. And I know some of the principles would apply probably to whatever you're using. But, um, you know, if you become a real whiz at Facebook and, and advertising, well, that might disappear on you. And then, you know, you need to go to something else. So English and history never become irrelevant. No, no matter how long time goes on, uh, these technical fields they change, like you said, really fast. And you might go through four or six or eight years of college to get a really specific technical degree. And then by the time you actually get done with eight years, it might not be worth anything anymore just because of how the field changed. Well, and being, you know, if you're, if you're pretty sharp with history and English and these other classes, I'm pretty sure you can pick up the other ones too. You know, it's not like you'll have this great wealth of historical knowledge, but boy, you just can't figure out the computer. You know, I mean, you're going to figure stuff out. Basic intelligence there. Yeah, know. and there's nothing wrong with technical courses, but to throw, what we're saying is to throw everything else to the side mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, you could say put all your eggs in one basket. It is a dangerous way to go. Yeah, absolutely it is. You know, uh, there is, of course, the story made big headlines just a while ago about they were having these ice raids in California uh, trying to get rid of uh, the illegal immigrants because they're here illegally. And the uh, Oakland mayor went ahead and tipped him off uh, that uh, to get out of town, basically. And so what do you suppose happened? Well, foxnews.com. Illegal immigrants who dodged California ice raid after Dem mayor's tip-off rearrested for new crimes. Three examples. Uh, one was a Mexican national arrested for robbery and gun crimes who was released back into the community for a prior offense. Uh, despite an ICE detainer request in November. So he was picked up again. Another Mexican national was arrested for a DUI, despite having been deported three times, and prior convictions for false imprisonment, DUI, and battery of a spouse. Sounds like a great guy. The third was a Mexican national who was arrested for corporal injury of a spouse, uh, despite being deported twice in criminal convictions, including drug possession, hit and run, DUIs, possession of narcotics equipment, and a parole violation. I'm going to take a just a wild guess here and say they're involved in drugs and drug trafficking in some way based upon that rap sheet. And so uh, it's, it's again, it's so interesting when you have this leftist ideology of you can't get rid of people that are here illegally. You can't send them back to where they legally should be. But they also say, hey, we, we don't like anybody being mean to women. Okay. But the people that you're allowing to stay here are beating their spouses in these cases, in some of these cases, or are doing these other things. So how do, how do, how does, how do those two things uh, work together? <laughs> you can stay here because you're illegal, uh, but again, then they're, then they're involved in all these other activities that the left also says they're against. I, so it, it's just so confusing. 
Where was the gratitude to that Oakland mayor for basically uh, giving them freedom? <laughs> They're going off and still committing more and more crimes. You'd think they might want to lay low for a while as a sign of a goodwill <laughs> to, toward her. Uh, but, yeah, that's it's a really uh, just frustrating topic because I can't imagine Americans getting away with crimes like this, like, what do they do when they deport criminals? Do they just send them across the border and then they have a chance to come back, or do they put them in Mexican prisons? Uh, it sounds like a lot of them get back here really quickly. So, I mean, if if an American committed these same crimes, would it would it really be that easy to just, you know, I'll I'll put you 500 miles from home and then you just have to find your way back somehow? If that were the only punishment that Americans uh, faced. For the same exact crimes, the public would be absolutely outraged. Well, sure. I mean, even look at, say, the way a, a child behaves. If if they do something that they shouldn't do and they don't really get in trouble for it, they don't say, oh, boy, I dodged a bullet. I'm really going to straighten up here. <laughs> they just keep doing it because I'm not, I'm not going to get in trouble, or if I do, it's not a big deal. It's the same thing for these uh, individuals. They've already been deported how many times? They find their way back commit more crimes i guess maybe they get picked up occasionally send them back they come back like they were used to it it's a routine for them and so we're actually we're actually incur the, these illegal activities of of uh uh trying to keep them in sanctuary cities and, and uh, hide them and so forth or tell them to get out of there when ice is coming it's actually creating a cr- whole criminal element you know you you can't break 10 laws and then say but look that's it just keep breaking these 10, but don't you dare break number 11 or 12 or 13. They're going to break them all. And that's exactly what's happening here. And uh, I'm sure that's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure they don't even know the iceberg. I didn't even mean that to be a, <laughs> a pun, but uh, I'm sure there's a lot more that's happened than they know about. And that's really similar to what's been happening in some of these school districts that have been in the news a lot lately, where they just have an extreme lenience program for all the students. Uh, you know, if you have a bag full of stolen goods, the police will take them and say, oh, look, we, we basically, it's as if we just found these on the side of the road. No one really stole them. These are just lost and found items. They don't want to uh, put these young people into prison for the crimes they're committing. And so what's the result? A lot of nearby gangs actually recruit students to do their dirty work because the students won't get charged for it. They'll they'll get away with it like the first five offenses that they have, and then maybe eventually, once they do it enough times, once they violently assault somebody enough times, then they'll get dealt with as a criminal. Yeah, they're just looking for loopholes to commit more crime. They're not looking to clean themselves up, obviously, in any way. It's interesting, too. I saw a headline today where uh, former Vice President Joe Biden said that if he and president trump were in high school together that he would have beat up president trump which was you know ridiculous to even talk that way but but his he said he he would have because you know he doesn't like anybody disrespecting women so he would have fought him in high school or something (laughs) and he used to be a good athlete apparently that's what he said but so okay whatever it's just you know that's stuff people say but so you've got that speaking, but then at the same time you have these illegals that are that are abusing spouses and others. There's another story today about all the the terrible things going on at spring break with the U.S. college students are down there, and a lot of it is very degrading towards women and men, but the women in particular. So you have all these things happening in our country, and I just thought, well, you know, it's 
uh, it's easy to come out and make a big statement about how you'd, you'd stand up for, for ladies and so forth, but, but look at what's happening. You know, how, how about taking this criminal element that shouldn't be here anyway and that are involved in actually domestic abuse and so forth and getting them out of the country? How about that? You know, instead of going back and talking about fighting somebody in high school, why don't you take care of the problem now? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's in government or he has been. So to do something <laughs> about people that are breaking the law right now, it just struck me as just a sort of a extremely hypocritical statement when there's lots of things that could be done now to protect women and children and men themselves. And but now we'll just talk about one individual and one hypothetical, you know, high school situation <laughs> or something. Joe Biden is totally fine with the illegal immigration problem, too. I mean, that's that's the paradox there where he can go after the president and physically threaten him but he's totally fine with other people certain people can commit a crime and it'll be overlooked by the left other people everything they do is hyper analyzed to no end and that's not how it should be uh the law of the land says equal justice for all you know you apply the law evenly no matter who the person is whether it's the president whether it's an illegal and if it's an illegal that person has no rights being here they 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 should not get uh special treatment uh the left has also changed the language where they're saying a lot of these people aren't criminals well yeah they are every single one of them actually is they're not all violent criminals but they're all definitely criminals for crossing the border the way they have and I've seen a lot of people, a lot of conservatives even just go along with that and say, yeah, well, you know, a lot of them aren't criminals. Yeah, the, all of them are. And a huge percentage of them, proportionately to the amount of illegals in this country, do commit really, really serious crimes once they're here, too. It's way higher than any other uh, segment of our legal population. They're coming here demonstrating a lack of respect for the law by getting here illegally. And sure enough, they're breaking a lot of other laws, too. That's that's the pattern of their lives. And yet we just send them across the border and let them come back six or seven times until finally they shoot a woman dead on a on a San Francisco pier or whatever it might be. And Americans suffer for that because the left just sees them as uh, potential future voters. It's a really good point. It's it's moral relativism to where. Uh, the left in particular always wants to take the moral high ground and they're going to decide what what is wrong and should be highlighted and then what what isn't wrong but that's not that even by looking at the law of the land that's not the way it is if you look at the constitution there's a really good write-up about uh the constitution actually and and how it needs to be upheld and uh, it's at the end of a write-up in the new york post the world is descending into tyranny it's a really interesting write-up. I think they've been reading the Trumpet magazine <laughs> and paying attention to just world events. But they talk about how uh, there's all these examples. You have Vladimir Putin. You have uh, Xi Jinping in China. You have uh, Erdogan in Turkey. You've got uh, El-Sisi in uh, Egypt, Kim Jong-un. All, all of these really strongman leaders that are dominating the world scene, and they go on and they list a bunch of them. And... Um, but they say at the end something really important about the Constitution. They say, what does this mean for us apart from the obvious dangers around the world? What does that mean for us in the United States? It says, we need to stop whining <laughs> and be grateful for the freedoms we enjoy, our countless privileges as Americans, and our remarkably effective government. 
well, maybe it's effective, but <laughs> maybe potentially it could be. In perilous times, he writes, such as these, when domestic demagogues cherry-pick the Constitution and even a president displays impatience with our laws, and that a lot of presidents have done that, says we must put the Constitution above party and personal biases above all else. That document is our sole guarantee that tyranny won't come here, and that's why our military takes an oath to the Constitution, not to an individual. If we lost all else but kept the Constitution, we'd still be the greatest country in the world. Well, we need the Bible as well. <laughs> There's a key of David on the Bible and the Constitution, but the Constitution is based a lot on the Bible. And, of course, we need God's blessings to be a, a great country. But part of those blessings that God gave the United States was the Constitution and founding fathers that were very wise, uh, very well-seasoned, well-thought-out, had experienced a lot. It wasn't the school kids. And they really thought about how to try to form a nation as closely as they could to being based on the Bible. And they, they, they codified that in the Constitution. And so I think it's a great point that the writer brings out there from the New York Post, uh, just about how <laughs> we have to go back and look at what the Constitution is saying and stop cherry-picking it and stop being so divisive and so partisan. And, uh, again, if, you don't, if we don't have that document and we're not going to follow it and if we let whoever wants to illegally come into the country, you know, what, what uh, do we become at the end? Uh, we lose our country is what we do. The Constitution is such a brilliant document, and there are so many millions of people today who hate it, and they think it's unfair or needs to be updated because the founders don't didn't know what type of society we'd be living in now. But their their smarts, their intelligence comes through in that document because uh, they 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 put in their freedom of speech. In Canada, you can literally get arrested for saying something that offends somebody else. Uh, you have you have the right to bear arms in Australia and England. All the guns are taken away, and the people are at the mercy of their government. They have to hope that their government does not decide to uh, become tyrannical. You have freedom of religion here. This is the only place in the world where God's work could actually thrive and could truly uh, move forward without a lot of oppressive uh, speech limits. So. The founders knew exactly what they were doing. There's no other nation in the world that even comes close to having the freedoms that we do. And yet you see the media constantly attacking this president. Uh, you, you listed all those strong men. Every one of them is 100 times worse than anything Mr. Trump could possibly do because of the limits that are put on him. Uh, yet the media acts like he is worse than all of them. And that's not true. The Constitution strictly limits what any president can do what any legislator legislature can do uh, even the judges they're accountable only to the constitution uh and that's a pretty big responsibility those are the ones who really could could uh enact some pretty big abuses if they wanted to because no one elects them they're accountable to only that document and it's imperative that every president who appoints a judge appoints those who deeply respect that document. Otherwise, you get activism. You get tyrants in the office of judges, and we're seeing that right now. A lot of things that President Trump has tried to do have been blocked, not because it goes against the Constitution, but because these judges personally, in their own lives, are leftists, and they don't agree with what he's doing. 
Yeah, activist judges is a major problem, and of course, a continual attack on the Constitution. So you really have to go back and watch this Key of David program if you haven't seen it already, and that is on uh, the Bible and the Constitution, and uh, it's up right now on thetrumpet.com. It's very important to think about, especially as we see the Constitution come under attack all the time. Uh, one other story to look at here today uh, this is from the Los Angeles Times. Uh, California is having their issues with homelessness, and some says some Orange County residents are not happy about proposals to house homeless in their cities. Really? I wouldn't be happy about that either. It says, one day after Orange <laughs> County supervisors voted to spend more than $70 million to house the homeless, yeah, you could build a pretty good-sized house. <laughs> of, course, of course, out there in uh, uh, Orange County, maybe it'd be a small starter house. Uh, <laughs> they said uh, they're going to spend $70 million to house the homeless residents in three prosperous cities. Uh, those residents expressed alarm about a proposal to set up camp shelters in their communities. Besides creating permanent housing, the officials' plans call for possible camps in Irvine, Laguna Niguel, if that's how you say it, and Huntington Beach on county-owned land. The, the Irvine City Council voted unanimously late Tuesday to sue the county to stop the proposal. Mayor Donald P. Wagner said, how does this solve the problem? <laughs> that's right. How does it solve it? Uh, the county's idea caused some residents to express anger, suggest other locations for the shelters, and to take digs at their much larger neighbor to the north, Los Angeles. <laughs> One resident says, this freaks me out. I moved to OC because I thought it would be a safe place. Now it's getting more and more like L.A. Who wants tons of traffic, high prices, and all kinds of unwanted people around you? That's uh, a conservative talking. There's a, <laughs> There are a lot of conservatives in that area i've been there a couple times recently and you'll see actually fox news on of all things really you'll see fox news on all the tvs <laughs> and i was absolutely shocked when when that happened and a lot of people uh they would make comments here and there where it was pretty obvious um they were not in line with the rest of the state's thinking right well the yeah the state is divided amongst themselves and uh, Huang, a computer programmer in Laguna, said, when we think of homeless, the homeless crisis, we think of an urban environment that's overcrowded, full of noise and chaos. You don't think of it happening in a place like OC. She added, I understand that we should be sensitive to needy people, but definitely I'm going to fight any kind of facility that's close to our towns and kids. And uh, I, one comment I thought was, was pretty good. The person said, California should figure out what the root cause is for homelessness and work up from that. They would start with uh, maybe high taxes, mental health, and just the cost of living in California. That's their ideas anyway. There you go. And they say it's no longer the golden state. But that's a good point. Okay, well, what's the cause of homelessness? Yeah, you could all throw them in a camp here or put them over there or shift them over there. Well, they're homeless. They don't stay in any place. But uh, what's the cause? And I, you know, I just I was thinking about a couple of scriptures that just popped to mind. Exodus twenty and verse nine: Six days shall you labor and do all your work. Of course, that's part of the Sabbath commandment. Second Thessalonians three ten: For even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any man would not work or any sorry would not work, neither should he eat. So. Why are these people homeless? Now, there are some that probably need some real legitimate help, and maybe they would not be able to work. So so there may be those examples. I've seen plenty of homeless people walking around, standing for hours on a street corner, in some cases dancing for money. You couldn't, you couldn't stand behind a counter. <laughs> 
you you couldn't you couldn't push a lawnmower and, and or whatever or maybe something even more than that i'm not saying that's all you have to do but what about working how come they don't want to work what's going on I, they need to get to the root cause of it or they're never going to solve the issue yeah you have to like hearing thinking uh like that people expressing views that are focused on actual solutions getting back to the root of it uh you do see a lot of people, uh, especially on the left, looking at how to treat the effect of the problem, not the cause of the problem. They'll say, well, these people are already homeless, so we're going to try to build shelters. We're going to try to maybe uh, tweak the welfare system so that homeless people can, can get their benefits or they can get a free phone or they can get access to marijuana, which we've seen that a lot as well. A lot of people, a lot of homeless people heading to these different distilleries or these places where the drugs can be administered to you safely somehow, mm. uh, which is just the peak of insanity. Uh, but why why are they in that situation in the first place? There had to have been a big breakdown. Um, about a decade ago, the media was pushing really hard to make it look like homeless people were just people who were out on their luck. They got cruelly evicted from their apartments. They got wrongfully fired from their jobs and all of a sudden they had nowhere to live and were under the bridge. And that's all that happened. That was it. But then if you actually looked into it, you would see that, wow, all these people, almost all of them, they have huge crippling drug problems or alcohol problems or sexual problems. And it took over, sins took over their lives and put them in the situation that they're in. Those are not safe people to have in your neighborhood or to have piled up in any place uh, because they have really bad habits and probably not a high moral standard. So it's it's just out of out of control that a county would try to uh, look at solutions like this. Yeah. Uh, you you know, for a fact that if you knew where there was the big homeless center, that's where the tourists wouldn't go. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't go there. And it's exactly like you said. Why? Because the sins are rampant. They're just running rampant there. And all that they're trying to do is make it comfortable to continue in that lifestyle. That doesn't solve any problems. Um, you know, we we were talking the other day. I, I don't think we were on the air, but we were just talking about how it seems like even, say, the, sort of the shame of being unemployed is, is kind of gone away. Where I mean, and it can happen from time to time. I'm not trying to jump on somebody that, that has that situation. But, but to where almost it's a lifestyle in some cases. People say, eh, I don't want to work. Uh, who cares? And it's not a shame like it used to be. Well, it's the same almost with the homelessness. Ah, I'm just going to be homeless, just going to live here uh, out in these uh, camps or these shelters or whatever, and uh, it's not getting to the root cause. They're just trying to make it comfortable. Uh, <laughs> the reason you don't want to be homeless is it's uncomfortable, right? And But, again, it's, it's, it is it's for the most part, and there might be an exception here and there, but for the most part it's because of sin. So you have all these people with serious problems crowded together and you're just going to keep moving the communities around into other communities well what is over fifty five thousand homeless in la area now they're going to move them somewhere else maybe so uh but but even there they don't want to stay in the locations even if they put them in a place they don't want to stay they just want to go back out and usually get into the trouble that they're in so more more curses in california yeah and what if the police or uh just local officials were dealing with homelessness in a decisive way every time they saw a colony cropping up they would break it up uh, any any time they saw drugs the drugs would be confiscated the homeless would be 
punished. I mean, if, if it were dealt with in a way that truly made the homeless consistently uncomfortable, you, you would know that a lot of the people, if they didn't already have a crippling drug problem, they would get out of that situation. If they didn't just get a chance to lounge around all day in the heart of the city and accept probably when you get down to it, at least a hundred bucks a day from people who just give them money, then probably they would quit. If they didn't get money, if they didn't have prime real estate, uh, they would probably realize that getting a job would be a better option. Yeah. Absolutely. And they put in the work to do that. There are public places where you can clean yourself up and make yourself presentable and then go, go, go get a job. Just go out there and, and find something to do and take the initiative to turn your life around. They're never going to do that as long as it's an easy lifestyle. Yeah. Real trouble out there in uh, California. So uh, interesting story there. And uh, make sure you stop and check out the trumpet.com today. Top story, China's Fisherman Navy. Also, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today coming up in a bit. Uh, a quick look at the topic of humility and also the Trumpet Hour program coming up today as well. That's all the time we have for today on Trumpet Radio Live. Have a great uh, rest of your day for Grant Turgeon and myself, Toy Falk. Thanks for being with us, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.